Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from our at-home studio, studio, where the scenery is dull and boring, but the weather has been spectacular. Yes, we're indeed. finally getting to... <laughs> Much better than it was in Alaska. We're finally having summer. We're finally getting to experience some sunshine and some warmth. We've been riding our bikes and playing golf and playing tennis, trying to recapture some of the fitness we lost on all those rainy days. We had to hunker down in the motorhome and watch the droplets stream down our windshield. We decided that we missed quite a lot because of the bad weather, but that's uh, water under the bridge, and we are now ready to do the final analysis of the trip to Alaska. Yeah, we're home, and we've been home for two weeks, and since the last time that we talked to you, we have put a lot of miles under those wheels, because the major part of the driving is... Getting home. And I think, as we mentioned to you, the driving around Alaska was no problem at all, but the traveling to and from can get to be rather tedious. Unless maybe if you live in Seattle, it's not so bad. Well, you are, yeah, but you got to factor that in. Um, our final mileage turned out to be da 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 nine thousand nine hundred and fifty-six miles in the motorhome, and we drove about three thousand miles uh, on the towed. So a total of 13,000 miles, which I think is is fairly reasonable, especially at uh, the gas prices that we experienced this year, which were actually very Remarkably reasonable. Remarkably reasonable. Yeah, even the most recent uh, gas that's in the car right now is from Iowa, and it was about 3.65 a gallon. Even though we came home and it was four twenty, yeah, it was it was a shock to us that in the big cities of Alaska, <laughs> few as there are big yeah. cities, uh, that the gas was cheaper than it is here in Metro Chicago. Now we should Who mention would have expected that, that as we expected and as we have heard from lots of people that the gas and diesel in. Uh, Canada is outrageously expensive. It was, it still is, and probably always will be. <laughs> At least $5, and we paid close to 6 on one occasion. So our route home was planned by A, how do we get through Canada, <laughs> ASAP, yes. and B, a number of exciting repair appointments that we had scheduled along the way. Now, I don't want to leave you with the misconception that these repairs were caused by the trip to Alaska in and of itself, because no. they were not, but when you drive your house down the road, whether it's a good road or a bad road, um, over over time things go wrong, and so we scheduled our trip home repair facilities to get these little issues taken <laughs> well, care of. Well, we should of. mention that we last left you in Whitehorse, I believe, and that we drove down the Cassiar, which was a different way home. Oh, we haven't talked about oh, the Cassiar? I don't Cassiar? think so, no. Uh, the Cassiar is uh, a different road, which you take off of the Alaska Highway, and we can pretty much recommend it. It's more westerly than the route that we took up through uh, Banff and Lake Louise in that area. So uh, we went straight north from there originally to get to Dawson City. 
certainly a route that anybody coming from the Pacific Northwest would would probably take. And this was a road that, you know, there's certain roads that um, campers, especially in Canada and Alaska, speak about in hushed tones. And I was a little bit apprehensive about the KCR, but as was the case for most of the roads that we drove on this trip, it was just fine. It's been paved. um, It didn't have a wide shoulder, and in places it was a little bit rickety. And from my perspective, Mm -hmm. the thing that it still lacks is it doesn't have enough pull-offs because we went past some spectacular scenery, and we wanted to stop and take Mm -hmm. a picture, and even for just one of us, there wasn't a place to pause. So that was about 400 miles of driving, and it was... uh, Decent, and it took us two or three days to do it uh, at our slow pace. And very scenic, I would say, especially on the south end. And you get to go to Seward and Hyder, Alaska. Stewart. Stewart. B.C. B.C. And? And Hyder. This is the only place on the Alaska Panhandle where you can drive to a town in Alaska, if you can call it a town, because about 100 people live there. (laughs) And in Stewart, um, maybe 800. So together they make um, a reasonable place to stop and a worthwhile place to stop, because it's your last chance to see glaciers and to see bears. And there are spectacular glaciers, spectacular glaciers right off the road, uh, no hiking necessary. So you kind of get a mini sort of Alaska experience all in one here because it has an oceanfront also. You get to see the glaciers. You get to see the animals. You get to see the ocean and uh, the fjord type of experience. So Hyder is really quite an interesting place, uh, although not much tourist infrastructure. But I would consider it definitely a worthwhile worth place. It was worth going to, and yeah some great scenic campgrounds along the road. And I was very impressed by the bear viewing structure that yes. they built. Um, the, the theory, as always, is that it's on a stream, and when the salmon come up the stream, the bears come to the stream and have dinner. And so they've built this giant boardwalk with a lot of sides on it to keep you in good view of the bear but not in danger from the bear. And vice versa is probably also true as well. And so I'm not a, sure exactly when the bear season is. We were a little bit late so we only saw one bear and it was a black bear right but they say that the grizzlies are there and the wolves come and feed there and this platform is nice uh very good for for photography and of course inexpensive our bearing bear viewing experience the major one that we went on was uh just the opposite um very remote very few people and no infrastructure no and infrastructure, very expensive and very expensive so you have to kind of take your choice there so we would definitely recommend the cassiar if you have time to drive on it and if you're from the west coast of course that would be a logical trip so we came back down and boy were we glad to get back to the 48 it's strange how much you miss um, having good internet, having good TV, having the satellite radio work. Um, we kind of ticked off the the various services as they re-entered our lives as we came because south. I, I almost think that Alaska is is kind of like a foreign country in many ways. I mean, it is so different from the lower forty-eight. Uh, it's you know, it's nice that. Uh, it has, you know, English speaking and uses the dollar and all that sort of stuff. But boy, other than that, it is really someplace else. You know, two Walgreens in all of all of Alaska, no CVSs, for instance. And every country has WalMarts, and every country virtually has Costco's and that sort of stuff. So that wasn't that much different from going to a foreign country, as far as I can see. It was definitely somewhere else. Yes, and and when you are remote in Alaska, you are remote. 
<laughs> and that means uh, all the typical services have been reduced, uh, some of them to the point of non-existence. And even electricity, when you're running off their generator, you know, you're getting a campground with 15 amp power. So and it kind of ebbs and it cuts and off at, at midnight or something ridiculous like that. So we were very happy, especially being that my iPhone, which I have explained to you in the past, was not working and literally crossed the border. And and it sprang back to life. Verizon, it found a Verizon tower and it said, I know you and I'm going to be back online. So now I've just had to hassle with Verizon about getting our bill adjusted so that I don't have to pay for that time that I was in Alaska without phone service. We kind of wanted to have a final review of uh, our trip in Alaska. And I think one of the things that you need to think about when you travel, and one of the reasons why we travel is, is because being there and seeing it firsthand is really a unique experience. And that because you listen to the podcast, you haven't been to Alaska. Despite even, our, though, even though our, our efforts have been to bring it to you live as it happens, you still have not been to Alaska. And that uh, we can offer you tips and our impressions, but it is not the same. And I guess one of the things that we found out is even our impressions from our 1989 trip were not accurate. Things have changed. Things have changed. And I think one of the things that we learned uh, in our trip from Alaska is... When you have an opportunity to see or do something, do it. Because it's not Disney World and the animals are where they want to be. And if you see one, you should stop and savor the moment, take yes. pictures and watch it. Because don't, you may not see it again. Don't assume that you will have another opportunity down the road. One of the things that we remember very distinctly from our earlier trip was that there were tons of eagles in Homer, oh. Alaska. And, of course, we spent two weeks in Homer this time, so we were anticipating great eagle viewing experiences. So we kind of blew off the eagles that were in Haines, of although which they were, were abundant, very nice. And they were great, and we did get some nice pictures of them, but I think I would have spent a little bit more effort in, in bird watching. And we saw great bears there eating dandelions. And one of the things we found out later was that when the dandelions go away, so do the bears. Now, we didn't know that up front, so that the bears were along the side of the road because the dandelions were there. And they were in quite an abundance, and we saw quite a few, and we thought, well, you know, we got three more months. We're going to see lots more bears. We've seen quite a few already. But then the dandelion season was over, and they didn't come out on the road anymore. So I guess one of our bottom line things is uh, in your trip, if you could, you know, take the time to see the animals when they're there. And if they're not there, then uh, hope that you see them later on. But uh, don't assume that you will. And that, I think that goes for everything in the trip. You know, um, do it while you can, because, you know, if, if the weather is good, then go for the flight seeing. If the you know, because it may not happen again. We were, the weather may never be good again. The weather may never be good again, and you may not see. You know, if if it potentially is good tomorrow that Denali is going to be out and visible, then view it. Take the time to view it. Don't think, oh well, it's going to be good when we come back in a week or you know whatever the situation is. Do it while you can. If you have just a limited amount of time to go to Alaska, whether it's on a cruise or whether it's driving as we did or in your RV, and you're going to spend some time. It's worth it to do some of the exotic things. You definitely want to go to uh, Wrangell St. Elias. You definitely would want to do the bears if you can. You definitely want to go to Prudhoe Bay, um, up, which we talked about a couple times ago. 
you definitely want to do these things if it's if it's possible because they are world class, unique experiences. Wouldn't you say? Yes, things yes. you can't do anywhere and else. You can't do them anyplace else. However, I would emphasize that the Kenai Peninsula, which is just south of Anchorage, and Anchorage is a base for that, the Kenai Peninsula is a snapshot of all of Alaska. If you go to the Kenai, you can see everything else that we saw uh, kind of concentrated in one place. It's, it's kind if, of the highlight if tour. You have, if you have a limited amount of time, get an RV, go to fly to Anchorage, rent the RV, or if you're renting an RV, then, then spend two or three weeks doing the Kenai, and you would have a reasonably good snapshot of the things to do in Alaska. And you'd get to see almost everything. I would avoid going to Denali, frankly. People need this. We've, we've talked that. I, well, I know, but it, and it's got this reputation. Yeah. I would go up the other side and go to Wrangell-St. Elias before I would go to Denali. And I enjoyed Fairbanks, too, if you have a little more time. Well, yeah, but that's kind of a long way away. But, you know, in a couple of weeks, go to the Kenai and uh, do the glacier tours. You can do the uh, marine mammal tours, you know, the whales and all of the birds and, and, and that sort of stuff. And you can do fishing. You can see that, and you can see, well, and there's even some decent uh, glacier viewing. And you don't have to spend a lot of time driving from right. place to place. It's right. all a fairly contained area. And if you're in a and rental, the roads that's, are very that's, good. that's an issue. Great campgrounds, uh, however, lots of people. That's where the people are concentrated because that's where you want to go. And, and even though we're obviously biased, we would really urge you to rent an RV when you come to Alaska if you don't have time to drive your rig up there as we did because it's the best way to see Alaska. Yes, there are hotels and roadhouses and bees and bees, but they're expensive and they don't really get you out there where the nature is. Yes, I would. and we saw, uh, those of you who might be thinking about taking a cruise to Alaska, which is a very viable option, and of course you see cities that you can't see by driving. Juneau, Ketchikan, Sitka. Sitka, all these cities are not available to you by uh, car, by vehicle. So frequently people will then take a bus tour after their cruise. They get off in Seward or in Whittier, and they uh, go to Anchorage by train or something, and then they get on a bus, and it takes them to Denali. Beep. I think that's a mistake. And then we saw people doing things like the Top of the World Highway as a shore excursion mm -hmm. and going In to Chicken bus. and to Whitehorse. In a eh, bus. Not worth it. Not worth the time and the drive. You've got to spend a lot of time driving unless you have a great deal of time. Now, that's not to say that we as RVers spending four months didn't find these places interesting, but they're not world class. And I very much value going at my own pace and seeing the locals without a lot of other cruisers, tourists with me. I think you get a far different experience if you can do it. Yes. So we had a great time uh, traveling with just uh, one other couple. That was a great way to go. I would not hesitate in the least to go by ourselves. It's nice to go with friends. As far as the roads, no problem. As far as uh, services and things, uh, I as long as your vehicle is in good shape, I don't think you will have any problems uh, on any of the roads to going to Alaska as an RVer. Certainly, the campgrounds and that sort of stuff are plentiful and easy to access and at every price level. You can go... Uh, and you can camp boondock for, for you free. Could, you could boondock the whole summer for free. You could spend big bucks and stay in prime locations. And by big bucks, we're not 
forty dollars. We're not talking about Key West prices. No, no, no. <laughs> but no. we're talking about forty dollars. Two things you definitely want to do, and that is one is buy the mile post. You don't need to buy it before you go. They sell it everywhere. Up they there. sell it everywhere, and, but it is a definite uh, must-have because it has every major road and all the attractions and things to see along it. The co-pilot was reading to me as if it were a story of the road. Interesting facts along the way. Number two is by the church's campground book. Um, I forgot the name of it exactly, but I'll put a link in here for you on the website. Uh, and that's their camping, their RV camping book, because they are great at describing all of the campgrounds, every campground that you want to go to, telling you what kinds of sites to expect, what kinds of facilities, how much it costs, and their frank, uh, honest opinion, which we very much appreciated. The descriptions are factual, they're accurate, and they're objective. Yeah. And you can just read the facts and make a decision about what kind of campground suits your needs and they put little maps in in some places i was confused about how to get to these places right. even with the gps and the maps were very helpful as well i and can't say the, enough about the church's yes, book. yes we cannot say how how much of a benefit it was to having and if you're going to do the northwest they also have a northwest camping book so it's it's and a mexico but they have very good writing style and they very thorough about their Ratings And, you know, the ratings are all done by them, so they're all uniform across the board. And is the case with every kind of travel that we've done, the more that you prepare yourself before you go, the more reading you can do, uh, the more you will make good decisions in your precious travel time, however long that happens to be. And certainly we've turned more and more to reading other people's blogs. Uh And um, I keep one, too, which I assume you know if you're interested in knowing every little detail about the (laughs) Wiseman. Yeah, all the campgrounds. Um, But there were many times where we weren't sure was a place where worth visiting or how much time should time we allow that place and is it okay to take a big motorhome there and we would read people's blogs and they would give us um, the objective information that we needed to make a good decision so that's a resource I think that's fairly recent and certainly there are many good ones on the web and now. it's interesting to read somebody who's uh, just ahead of you or just behind you um, and we actually met up with one uh, gentleman who was uh, blogging and we actually met them actually we met two people this summer uh, just because of their blogs and that's kind of fun too because their experiences are contemporary with uh, your experience as you're as you're traveling around those are good good resources I I know we've talked about it before, but I can't emphasize enough. Alaska is very expensive. I would compare being there as a tourist to being in Hawaii, if you've experienced those kinds of prices. And they're probably high for the same reason. Both of these places are remote. And on the rare occasion when we went out to breakfast, (laughs) we could easily spend $15 a person, lunch 20-plus, dinner 30-plus, and Virtually the entire summer when we went out to eat, we were drinking water because we were too astonished by the prices to order anything more. Basically, I think the things in Alaska are about 100% more than they are here, except for fuel and a few things. If you go to the store, a two-liter bottle of Coke is going to be at least 2 to 258 whereas around here it's in the dollar range. We just went last night out to a local restaurant 
and we each had a complete dinner, including ice cream for dessert, for $10 a person. And got so much food we brought plus, half of it plus home. Plus, we had to pay for drinks in addition to that. So the total bill was $25. So we feel like there we're in a bargain in now. in Alaska. Right. There, it felt like such a bargain because in nowhere in Alaska did we find such a complete meal except at something like a salmon bake. And the salmon bake started at $35 a person. And it was very good. It's very good. But yes, that's but the price. Staggering prices. So that's another reason to RV because you, well, even <laughs> you can cook it yourself, but it's even more, it's expensive at the store too. And I was very glad that I brought with me whatever non-perishables uh-huh. that I could. It, it yes. wasn't that those things weren't available there, but I would have paid a lot more for them. And you kind of have to think about how much does it weigh and how far has is it coming for example, I brought a lot of um, extra toilet paper, and that doesn't weigh very much. That wasn't that much more expensive in Alaska, but a bottle of um, laundry detergent was astronomically expensive because it's heavy. And a watermelon was $12. <laughs> so, as I think we mentioned before. So, it is, uh, it's worth it to think about these things. Now, in terms of getting your RV ready to go, you know, I don't think you need to do anything more than you would for any long summer trip. Uh, we've been gone for months at a time, and I prepared our RV pretty much the way I did for any trip. We didn't need a spare tire. We didn't get chips in the window, although our com- traveling companions did. But that could have happened anywhere. My chip was you know, I got in Florida when I had to replace the window. So in terms of beating up the RV, there was not really uh, too much of that. Uh, it seems to be in about the same shape it was when we left. Uh, no worse the, for wear. Uh, we did run into some rough roads. Yes. We did bottom out the suspension once in a while. Yes. We did go up some pretty big mountains. Yes. But I don't consider it to be out of the norm for the RV. Now, with that said, I wasn't sure exactly what kind of condition our car was, our toad was, when we came home. It was so dirty we couldn't tell. It was so dirty, and it was so full of tar, and it, it being towed behind the RV just didn't do it any good at all. And what I found out is is that it has bumper rash. Freckles. Freckles. Now, we had a... Stone guard. Stone guard. A mesh stone guard that we used most of the time. But there were stones that apparently came around the side of it because the first six inches of bumper on each, the left and the right side, on the on the very far side, is full of little chips. Uh, called bumper rash but i'm hoping to get those fixed have that repainted and that will be a small price to pay for taking it to alaska and that's about the only alaska related damage uh, that damage that i wouldn't have expected uh, from just towing in the lower 48 so uh, that was uh, pretty good i think i feel like people are going to be asking us budget questions and I feel like I don't know how to answer those questions. Ask away. We it, will be glad to answer so them. So much depends on how much no you decide to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it depends on these side trips and right. the you know the the tours that we took. The, and once again, I said you 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 if you're going to Alaska, you may as well do these things. But the glacier boat tours were in the. $175 range each. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you could take a boat trip, you're, you're talking over $100 per person. And maybe it included lunch. And maybe it or maybe included, it didn't. Maybe it didn't. Right. And, you know, tours just start at $100 and, and go up from there. And we took quite a few of them. But, you know, how many times are you going to be in Alaska? I mean, that was kind of our philosophy. So we spent the money 
to do this. And the tour to Prudhoe Bay was um, $900 mm-hmm. for three days mm-hmm. per per. And if you're gasping at that, then take another year and save some more. And uh, I mean, like we did. I mean, this is something we've been planning for a long time. And you need to do the things that there are to do, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I want to see and do what there is in Alaska. Now, we went to the, the Summer Solstice Festival, which was virtually free. The campground didn't charge any extra money. And, you know, that sort of stuff, lots of festivals, you know, things to do. But if it's commercial at all, they have only four months to earn To their make money. all their money, yeah. And so they they have to charge your big bucks, and you just bite the bullet. And, you know, if you wanted to put your, your RV on the ferry and save some time, and you want to come up from Washington, you're talking about $4,500 for our size RV. So we didn't do that. <laughs> we took the KCR. <laughs> And I feel like I should mention again that if you have any medical concerns uh, or could have medical concerns, that you really need to think about that in terms of Alaska as well. I kept saying to myself, Alaska is not a good state for old people because there are very many towns that have no doctors, that have no pharmacies. There's no way to get medical attention of any sort. We talked to a man who um, broke his arm when he fell off a roof, and he had to pay $10,000 to be airlifted to Anchorage where the hospital was. And we don't take much in the way of medication, but we had to plan ahead and bring enough with us because it would have been very challenging to get anything refilled when we were there. So if you have medical issues, issues you do need to plan ahead in regard to those um, or come to Alaska while you're still young. We found out that the medical service is provided by the, the Coast Guard in a helicopter. If you need to be transported five or 600 miles back to Anchorage to get a decent medical care, and that is often the case, you have to take a helicopter. And that's not exactly the kind of 911 emergency service that we are thinking about. Most of these towns just don't have emergency medical service. They don't have much of anything. They don't have anything, right. If you only have 1,200 people, it's hard to and justify the generator. <laughs> justify having stuff. You can't it's support it. It's the year anyway. Oh, I just can't imagine living there in the dark. That just seems staggering. Which leads me to add that if, if you run into Alaskan people, they are special people. Yes. Most of the people who live there are not natives because hardly anybody was there in the first place. And <laughs> generally they are folks who came up there to have an adventure or make a lot of money and they fell in love with the place and they want you to love it as much as they do. Alaska is not overrun with tourists the way Florida and Hawaii is and so you are a precious commodity when you come there. Everybody's nice to you and friendly. They want you to have a good time. They want you to know what's going on and to join in with their feelings about their wonderful state and I can't say enough about the wonderful people who have decided to make Alaska their home. And we should say the Canadians also, uh, the Canadian towns that we visited on the way up there were, were similar. Mm-hmm. And and I, I have to say, uh, now that we have driven back through Banff and Jasper once again, the Cassiar ends and then, <laughs> yeah, you drive 400 miles south and you're still north of Jasper. It's, you know, Alaska's just so far away. But anyway, then you drive a little ways east and you come back town to Jasper and we came back that same way again and Lake Louise wasn't frozen in August when we got there and it was that beautiful color that you've seen yeah. in all the postcards but that road called the Glacier Parkway is fabulously beautiful and if you want kind of a mini Alaska experience 
drive between Banff and Glacier and do the glacier walk and or the tour on the glaciers and that will give you a mini version of what Alaska is like because without you're the fish have, well yeah without a lot of stuff but but if you want great scenery and the day we were there was just like the day we did it this time was picture perfect and we got some fabulous pictures now the day we did it on the way north we had a blizzard we had a blizzard <laughs> And it was very interesting to see the lakes without ice because when we drove up, remember, this was uh, the second week of June, the beginning of June. Everything was still frozen. We were shocked that it was so cold and uh, rainy. And frozen. And frozen. But when we came back this time, it was just a very idyllic experience. And be sure don't just go to Banff. Be sure to travel up the Glacier Highway completely to Jasper uh, because there's nothing to do in Jasper, but uh, it's it ends the mountains, and that, that parkway is very nice. In fact, we've enjoyed returning to that area again on our drive home so much that we are talking about revisiting just that area. We haven't mentioned Kootenay and Yoho uh, National Parks, which are just a bit west. Of there, uh, Mount Robeson National Park, which is the tallest mountain oh, in Canada. So um, oh, we we are skipping a lot. We hope you you understand that because even with four months away, we ran out of time. <laughs> we could have easily spent another month, I think, uh, but because of the weather and because of other issues, we decided to head home. As motorhome owners, we're fortunate to have a washer-dryer all-in-one <laughs> unit. Uh, these are very commonly available in Europe and take up very little space. Uh, they're kind of a pain in the neck in that it can generally take five hours to do a load of towels. But when you're in Alaska and you can spend $6.50 doing a load of towels, having a washer-dryer in the motorhome was a real luxury. But the but Alaska provided kind of a unique experience because we did not have sewer very often. Right. Sewer are to, hard to put in in Alaska you had to because it gets cold. Plan carefully. But about a month into the trip, the a dryer month. the dryer part of our machine um, gave up the ghost, and so our wet towels Ooh. were kind of festooned around our motorhome every <laughs> we time. We don't have to go into a lot of detail here. <laughs> I had a chance to do the wash. But and, it looked like a campground. And we came to the conclusion that it was time to buy a new washer dryer when we got back to the lower And this 48. is a Splendid, which is a good brand. But our motorhome is a few years old, and time to buy it. And supposedly they've improved on them a bit. So we kind of researched where to do this and lit upon good old Camping World. Which is uh, the only seller of Splendid. Camping Worlds are not as commonly available as they used to be with the economic turndown. They're few and far yes. between. So we weren't going to come across one all the way on our route home until we got to Council Bluffs, Iowa. Which is on the far western, western side. side. Right. And so we Part spent a day getting the washer dryer installed and drove on to a campground about two hours down the road. Now, anybody who installs a washer dryer would, anybody who knows anything about a washer dryer knows that it needs three connections. Well, plus electricity. It needs hot water, cold water, and a drain. Wouldn't you think that? Even I could figure that out. So I did my first load of wash, and I was happy to see it washing, and I was happy to see it rinsing. And then I walked back there to check on it once more, and my feet got all wet. Come to find out that the technician at Camping World had not put the the drain hose into the drain. Discharge hose into the drain. And so all that washing and all that rinsing was now all over our clothes. The washing machine stopped. Working all together. Brand new. Brand new, never done a load of wash, and it stopped. We were fit to be tied. 
We thought it was a defective washer right away. But, but then when the I got back there and looked, it was the water. with all the, the water gushing out of the discharge hose into the floor. Long story short, we're happy to say that Camping World has stood behind its error and tried to make us happy once yes. again. We have another yeah. new washer dryer that was installed at the Camping World in Illinois. And uh, they even paid for our gas for the trip up there and back, uh, which was so. which put a smile on our faces. Yes. So. Um, I guess the moral of the story is when you have a repair done to try well, to... Oh, yeah, look at it. I didn't even think to look in the back to see... It seems like such a fundamental the error. drain hose, in, and it was still attached to the back. It wasn't like it came out during our drive. It was still attached to the he back He never of the put machine. it on. When I, when I did put it into it, and then, of course, it ruined the machine. So that was bad news. Another piece of equipment <laughs> failure that was not caused by Alaska but happened oh, in Alaska. Oh, how we love Moscow. <laughs> was Moscow? Our We've driven to Moscow? Those jacks. Moscow, out of, Iowa. Out of all the things in our motorhome, the jacks have given us more trouble than anything else. So you drive from Council Bluff on the far west side to... Moscow, Iowa, on down the far east Down beautiful scenic 80. Down beautiful scenic 80, because we were without our jacks ever since Homer. And the night before we came to Moscow, oh, Ken yes. pushed the button, <laughs> and the Wouldn't jacks you know worked. Wouldn't you know it? God, I pushed that button a thousand times. And then the night before, it starts to work. We, we went to HWH, which is the manufacturer of the jacks, and they have a nice facility. And I can, our philosophy kind of is, well, you may as well take it back to the factory because they're the ones who know about this stuff. So there we were in the rain, I might add. We pulled in, and, and I explained to them, and the guy says, oh, well, it usually is this problem or this. A switch. And it's not very expensive, and I'll, and I'll fix it. So we go away to lunch, and we come back, and the guy said, oh, it did it. The apprentice work was pushing the button, and it wouldn't work, and it, it caused your problem. And it wasn't what I thought it was. <laughs> it was a it? different switch. It was a different switch. So I was very happy to hear that they had actually misbehaved while they were, were there. And half an hour laborer they charged us, and for... 150 bucks. We got them fixed, and so we were on our way. A short time after uh, after the repair, ta-da! Another success story, and the third success story was a repair done by you. <laughs> I don't know about you, ladies, but it can be fun <laughs> to no, have. She's going to make fun of me. Regularly sanctioned opportunities to yell at your husband, which I did <laughs> all summer. As he crawled up on the roof yeah. to aim our satellite dish because it has three motors to do the X, Y, and Z axis, and right. one of them failed. So he would climb up there and aim it approximately where he thought it should be, and it was my job to scream <laughs> hooray, <laughs> hooray through the skylight when he actually had made contact with the satellite. Again, what do you do about this problem? So um, lots of research, lots of talking to other people. Um, Ken ordered a new azimuth motor. Ooh, she's got the words down here, ladies and gentlemen. And installed it azimuth at motor. our home. And now we are back in business. Right. It now goes in all three directions. And so the motorhome is back in good shape. And I just want to add, RVing is much easier when at least one of the people in the <laughs> RV is a mechanical genius. Well, a genius. I don't know about that. but Much appreciated. Well, we work on it together, I guess. I didn't fix the washer. No. I didn't fix the jacks. 
but some things electronic I can I can work on. Okay. So that kind of uh, ends up Alaska, I'd say, wouldn't you? I think so. We will be happy to act as a resource in case you uh, have questions about Alaska. And we have gotten quite a few questions already, but uh, hearing this four-month series of podcasts, shoot us an email to... Um, to get your questions answered. We'll do the best we can uh, with the experience. We, on your behalf, we drove... <laughs> we did all this research? That's right. <laughs> we wanted to be experts, but we did drive on virtually every major road, this time in particular. Every paved road. Every, well, except, except the city streets in Alaska, and we've now had experience, and we can give you our impressions. Of course, a lot of them were driven on very wet days, so that may taint our view just a bit. Whether you can spend nine days in Valdez waiting for the weather to clear and it not clearing is something that will be up to you. But you might want to build that sort of time in. So now we're starting to think about where we want to go next. And we don't have any firm plans yet, except we know that it'll be somewhere warm. As we're starting to do our research, once again, we want to give a plug to a very nice website sponsored Uh by Rand McNally called Best of the Road. This uh, website gives kudos and highlights for small town America and um, honors towns according to a variety of different criteria. You know, when you want to get off the road, and a lot of our viewers like to travel on the small roads and visit the small cities. They've been, they've done the big stuff. Mm-hmm. And Best of the Road is a series of very nice videos and and ideas from RVers and other travelers about where things, cities to visit. Places you might have never heard of, interesting places to eat. So I'm thinking we might use this as a planning resource as we work on what we're going to do this winter. So that's bestoftheroad.com. Ken has found a new item for sale that I sure do wish I had had when we were in Alaska. As a motorhome owner who likes to make coffee and cook at the same time, I was continually frustrated by the lack of amperage in Alaska. This is a problem but, but, but in Mexico, She has Mexico learned too. a lot, though. I mean, this is, this is a woman who never understood what a watt or an amp was or a volt was. And I really was. didn't want to know either. I just want to cook. <laughs> but now I have this little meter on the wall, and she comes out in the morning and, and looks at it and says, Oh, we're using 12 amps, and I've only got six amps left, and what am I going to do? How am I going <laughs> to so, Because in Alaska, we had 15, well, it's something you just don't find here, 15 and 20 amp circuits. So one of the things that I'm very much enjoying <laughs> is being home and being able to turn on my hair dryer without worrying about it. Well, and we did blow the fuse a few times. A few times. <laughs> yes. But this gizmo is a great idea. RV Park Adapter combines 15 and 30 amp outlets for 45 amps of power. So I could make coffee and run my new washer dryer. What a great idea. Well, you have to understand here that, that we're not manufacturing power. You understand that. that I understand many, that I need power. I know. Well, you need to understand how this works. What it does is that many pedestals that campgrounds have, they have, you know, two jacks, two plugs. Depending on what people need. Yeah, they have, yeah. So you know, a lot of class beers just plug into the standard household outlet, the twenty amp. Many of our beers plug into the thirty amp, and then there's those of us who have that that cord that's as thick as your arm <laughs> plugs into the fifty. And it's amp. so heavy, I need a motor to get it in and out. <laughs> 
so, so, so what this does is that it takes advantage of the fact that most of the, if they're correctly wired. Now, are you listening to this carefully? No, I don't care. I just want to cook them across <laughs> my hair. <laughs> Drying my hair. Well, for those of you who do care, <laughs> for those of our listeners who might give a, a hoot about this, they have two separate circuits. So they have a 20-amp circuit and a 30-amp circuit, and they're on separate breakers. So what this does is it allows you to plug into both uh, the 20-amp and the 30-amp, and it electronically combines them so that you have 45. If this pedestal is not wired that way, then you don't get more electricity. And probably all the wires coming, the wires may not be big enough to support it anyway. I don't know, but... It well, might give you a few more amps. Who knows? <laughs> this adapter is available at RV Toy Outlet for fifty nine ninety nine and is on my Christmas list. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, now I'm gonna. This is the first time she's ever asked for something electronic for Christmas. Can you believe this? <laughs> this is definitely a must buy. Mark, mark the calendar. Mark her calendar for this must buy. Oh, well, and this has been around for quite a while, but I've avoided buying one. I was Why? even at Camping World. I was going to. Why? Well, I. Aren't you tired I, of I, me I moaning and groaning about I not think, having power? Yes, but I think it's kind of fake. I don't, I'm not uh, sure how. I'll be disappointed. I, It'll break well, my heart. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, we'll see. We'll give you a product review <laughs> later on this winter. <laughs> okay. Wi-Fi in Alaska. Was pretty good. Yeah, and um, reasonably priced, unlike Canada, where one day we struggled to share forty megabytes between us. We both downloaded our inner email yeah. and we looked at each other and said, "Now what?" Yeah. So even uh, in the situation where the campground provided us with Wi-Fi, it was very interesting to find that we actually couldn't use it because they didn't have enough. They didn't give us enough data which was really kind of disappointing. So uh, we found an article, which I think is pretty good, and it's called uh, Drive-By Wi-Fi, Staying Connected While on the Road. This could be an issue for people on car trips, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's got some kind of good tips because even if the campground has Wi-Fi, if it has limited or if it's slow or you're too far away, you might have to go someplace else to get, to get Wi-Fi. So... One of their suggestions, and I think this is a pretty good one, is is that virtually every McDonald's has Wi-Fi. Slow Wi-Fi. Even in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, yes, it can be very slow, but it they do have Wi-Fi. It's better than even, nothing. Even, yeah, even in Alaska where the Wi-Fi was sparse, they had the, the McDonald's. We And we actually used it hard. And Starbucks often and has it. And mention, in Canada, Tim, Tim Hortons. Hortons. That's the other thing we wanted to mention. Tim Hortons had better service, we thought. There were a few days where we went to McDonald's, bought a cup of coffee, <laughs> used their Wi-Fi, went to Tim Hortons, bought another we're, cup we're, of coffee, we ran out of, we, we, used their <laughs> Wi-Fi. We were totally overly caffeinated and couldn't go to sleep. <laughs> Trying to get our internet well, duties we try, done. We try to accommodate, be nice to these businesses and bring them a little bit of business. We actually had lunch at Tim Hortons. We did. Draft that semi. So most truck stops have decent Wi-Fi, and it's probably pretty fast. Now, they mention here that it's usually in the $2 an hour range, which I think is pretty reasonable. reasonable yeah. yeah, 
an hour is probably plenty of time. It used to be much more expensive than that. Uh, so if you go to Flying J or to, and they mentioned here, Loves, Pilot, TA, or, TA. Yeah, they all have uh, Wi-Fi that you can uh, take advantage of for just a couple of bucks. And another Internet source that our viewers have been using for years is libraries. Yeah, right. And sometimes and, you can take your car to the library, park in the lot, and use their Wi-Fi even when they're not open because there's no password protection right. sometimes. Or if you go to the library when it's open and get the password, and then you can come back later. Uh, but we have found libraries that are very restrictive, that one that only allowed you for an hour. Yeah. Especially in Alaska. I think yeah. as with everything else, too, they yeah. pay a lot more for everything up there, yeah, including yeah. their own Wi-Fi. So we can't be too critical. And, of course, places like... Uh, Rest stops in Iowa. all along Iowa. Yeah, they all had Wi-Fi, and I think that's becoming more and more common, provided by the state. Texas has that too, so you might want to take a look at that. Now, where do you find Wi-Fi? Well, we're going to put up a link to this article, but there are several apps. Oh, of course, there's an app for that. Several apps that you can uh, download that will be uh, helping you find Wi-Fi. The one that I use is called GI's Wire-Free Wi-Fi Finder, and these—that's uh, the one that I have on my iPhone. But I see here that there are several others. Uh, we some for Android Pro, also. Uh, well, I think these are all for iOS or Android. But this is a nice way for you to find, especially in cities. And of course, turn on your computer and see what's there. Lots of computers have a Wi-Fi finding capability. The computer does. These are apps for, for phones, but you want to find something for your computer, too. So we those were, are all possibilities. We were surprised in Alaska to run into a caravan, oh, yeah. which brought their yeah. own Wi-Fi. Yeah, they hit a, yeah, yes, that's very cool. I've never seen that before. So one of the advantages of going with a caravan is, is that they, they might ha- provide the Wi-Fi provide for you. provide the Wi-Fi for you. So we have talked a lot about Alaska, and it has been a fun, fun experience, and we've enjoyed sharing it with you. And we hope that you will share your trips with us and we hope that we will see you in a campground near us in the not too distant future after christmas after christmas after i get my new christmas present uh-huh then we'll have to go to campgrounds that don't have much power so we can try it out <laughs> oh please <laughs> i just want to make a cup of coffee <laughs> no you want to you want to iron right <laughs> Or dry my hair. So, everybody, thanks for keeping in touch with us. And we are back, and we will be fully uh, on time with our podcasts. Uh, Sorry for a few late ones. And uh, thanks to Jeff and Ellen for traveling with us. And thanks to all the people who have written us emails. We'll see you soon. Happy travels.